Welcome back to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn every single Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. We are back, and that means Kid A, Amnesiac, and all the other things that they've just come out with. So that includes Amnesiac B-Sides, which apparently they're not too thrilled about, but we'll get to that. And The Kid Amnesia, which just came out a few weeks ago. Have you listened to that one, Austin? I have not. And I have not even listened to Amnesiac again yet. So the kind of rule we made up is that we're not going to skip ahead to songs that they recorded later in their career. We're going to keep with the ones that are immediately in front of us. I kept it as one season. You're being very literal about it and being yeah. like, I can only listen to this one song. So is it different of interpretations of the rules is what I'm going to say. Sure. I mean, one of us is right and the other one is not. But <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting about Kid A is that they were very clear at the beginning that this was going to be strange. Yeah. All the things I read about it were like, Radioheads being honest, and this is a really difficult album. There's no singles being released. I was also a little worried. As we've sort of mentioned before, a lot of rock bands were struggling to sort of keep updated with how music was progressing in the 90s. I think that's what I was worried about, that it would be Karma Police, but with a dance beat. Yeah, and I mean, because that's what it, they, it was just like everyone had a DJ on stage all of a sudden. Right. Oh, yeah. Remember Sugar Ray? They had a DJ that was amazing. I'm not yeah. sure what he did. What's that, what's what was that Sugar Ray song? I just want. Oh fly. no! Don't stop it! Stop it! Exactly immediately. <laughs> Put your arms no. around me, baby. <laughs> it all comes back. This album means too much to me, but I just feel like a lot of people say things that about Kid A that are wrong. <laughs> yeah, and. I'd like to dispel some common narratives that I just think are kind of lazy. The big thing I want to I want to go against is that Kid A is an o- overtly political album. I really don't see that. I find it sort of a very impersonal album and that deals a lot with the subconscious. It's not an electronica album. <laughs> and there are programmed drums and all of this, but as we'll find out, so much of the album is played on instruments mm-hmm. and it's about how it's recorded. I do find a lot of connections with Radiohead and a lot of jazz albums, especially jazz released in the 60s and early 70s. So there's definitely a let's try something new, but they they did look to the past for guidance. And so a lot of Kid A isn't as revolutionary, I guess as they as some people kind of think it is, but a lot of music critics only have rock music backgrounds. Yeah. And so they're not able to see a lot of these connections as clearly. Well, there's also like this bias to wanting the completely novel in your own time. Like re- if you read the reviews at the time, everyone is kind of going crazy about like how or how novel this is. And they want it to be like just something that's completely unattached to the past because you sort of want in your own time this break like you want something that's Mm -hmm. created new in the in the time that you are experienced as you're present it's not a letdown or sometimes maybe it is for some people a letdown than to realize like how connected it is to things that have come in the past 
All right, well, let, let's just get in. But this is going to get pretty geeky pretty yeah. quickly. <laughs> and I, I'm going to do my best to tame my thoughts. <laughs> no, 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 no. We got to go for it. Let's just get started. <laughs> right. All right. It's going to, yeah, this is going to be fun, folks. Let's get into it. The first song is Everything in Its Right Place. First off, the, this is going to get tiresome after a while, but like, this is just the best intro. <laughs> yeah. It's, this is my favorite intro track to a Radiohead album. It immediately just is like, okay, we're in a different place now. Yeah. From the very, from three seconds in. Four notes, maybe like, you're like, mm-hmm. This is something else. <laughs> yep. Learning it on guitar is fascinating because you realize that it wasn't written on guitar, that it was written for piano. And on guitar, you're just like, oh my God, what are these notes? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to sort of contort your fingers to create very strange guitar chord formations. Yeah. Or you just do a little bit of a tuning cheat like I did. Ooh, you do a tuning cheat. What do you do? I just tune the B string, the high B string, up to the C. Uh-huh. Oh. And so and so I don't have to keep my index finger there on the first fret. I just let that string open. So it's like, okay. And which means I can go up high for the F, like... Yeah. So then it's actually quite regular chord forms. By Interesting. Just retuning one string. See, I'm, yeah, I'm doing it way up. I'm doing it higher. But I'm still having to use my pinky to do things. I feel like a classical guitarist sometimes now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having to make all these strange things. The song starts. It has this keyboard riff. And then all of a sudden, all these voices just come. With the, and they all kind of converge into like that every that first everything. Tom's actual singing voice sort of gathers it all together and sort of spills out over the top of all of it. The F comes out of nowhere because it feels very uneasy at first when it mm-hmm. comes in because you're playing like the C. And then the F is so pretty. Yeah. But it you're not expecting it. It's basically C major. Borrowing from C Phrygian, like so, it's not necessarily C Phrygian. It's not necessarily C major, but like that F sounds so beautiful because it's still in C major, and you've not had it for the first mm-hmm. part, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, it is major, and then it, you go back, and you get, when you get to that D flat, that's the Phrygian borrowed chord. Uh, did you play it on the piano? I did a little bit, but I just found it so much fun to play on guitar yeah. that I didn't spend as much time doing keyboard as I thought I would. Because what I find fascinating about it, at least on guitar, and I didn't learn it on the piano at all, is that like you have that C chord, and then you know 
you have this D flat. Ma I was right. D flat major seven with a sharp eleven. And it's just this idea of you have reality, and then like what's most disturbing about reality is like not the not the opposite of it, but something that's just slightly askew. Like the best horror, oh. the best horror movies are where it's like things are just slightly off, and like the best for me at least, the my favorite type of like short stories or novels is where things are mainly normal, and there's just a bit of a skew to it. And like mm -hmm. this, these first two chords are like a musical manifestation of this idea. Because it's almost a C chord, just two things are different and just mm -hmm. slightly different, and it's just it's throws you off, right? And that's like that's how it creates this new place where it's just like, and then it just commits to it with like the C minor E flat, <laughs> and then it takes it like gives you a breather with the F. And yeah, you're like oh, this is okay then. This gets at the difference between what a lot of bands were doing at that time and what Radiohead did differently is a lot of bands were trying to write the same kinds of songs using modern beats. And Radiohead used the new equipment to write differently. Another way to put it maybe is that like the other other bands were like trying to take their old content and put it into a new form. Whereas like Radiohead is letting the form inform their content. So anyway, we open up and it says everything in its right place. And then just repeats that. Already we're getting into this idea of repetition within the first 30 seconds. We've already like hit another theme that's going to pop up a lot in Kid A. I don't know how this works. You shouldn't just be able to repeat things all the time and it sounds so good. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> okay. I don't know like how... I do my best, and hopefully you don't have to edit too much. Repetition has a lot to do with the unconscious, right? I mean, like, the repetition is how the unconscious learns, and then, like, the un unconscious sort of creates predictions, and that's this, like, through learning by repetition, it creates predictions so that, like, we can get through our daily life without having to exhaust ourselves. Um, I mean, this is psychoanalysis, like Lacan talks about, like, repetition is, like, one of the main functions of the unconscious, and it's only when things that are new that the conscious takes over. Kahneman, with this thinking fast and thinking slow, like, thinking fast is the unconscious. Like, you see a bear, you don't, like, think, okay, claws, big furry thing, teeth, bigger than me, probably faster, oh, I need to run, you're already dead. The thinking fast is the unconscious through repetition... That's why, like, you would jump at something that looks like a bear, even when it's not. What, what they're doing is, like, they're letting the unconscious sort of, like, bubble up. This is the repetition. This is, like, the phrase that comes to his head, like, musically and lyrically. Instead of letting it stay conscious, and then instead of letting the conscious, like, add on to it, it's, like, the conscious, like, grabs it and just sort of, like, keeps twisting it, getting over into this concept of mindfulness, like, letting your conscious mind meld with your unconscious mind and spin it around, but in a conscious way. So we have to talk about how he wrote this, and a lot of it is inspired by the Dada movement. Depending on how you want to talk about it, a way sort of to get into the unconscious or tap into it. On the website, they had a thing about how to make a Dadaist poem. So you take a newspaper, take a pair of scissors, choose an article as long as you are planning to make your poem, cut out the article, then cut each of the words that make up this article and put them in a bag. Shake it gently, then take out the scraps one after the other in order in which they left the bag. Copy consciously. The poem will be like you, and here you are the writer. 
infinitely original and endowed with a sensibility that is charming, though beyond the understanding of the vulgar. <laughs> and like, so the idea behind the Dada was, I mean, it started as like a political movement against rationalism. So the idea that if you, if rationality led to bombs and war, then maybe irrationality can counter that movement. It was founded not far from here in Zurich after the First World War. I feel like the unconscious just kind of lives in Switzerland a little bit. <laughs> uh, Over there. I think it's because everything repeats here and life is pretty boring. So you Oh, have it's to just like, like clockwork? Just like, yeah. It's really true. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's um, you can even read like writers like Backhofen and Burkhardt back in the 1800s where they're like, yeah, uh, everyone just wakes up and takes the same walking routes every day and then eats and goes to bed early. Yeah, see, I, I just think that this is totally the opposite of like this tortured artist narrative of a lot of rock music, that they're spilling their heart and soul out into their work. Obviously, Radiohead suffered immensely for Kid A, so it's not like it requires no work or effort, but you know, when you hear a line like, yesterday I woke up sucking on a lemon, that was a line that he had in a hat that he wrote down that meant something to him. You can almost interpret it, but like interpret the line to be like, ah, he had like a weird expression in his face. And that's what it means. It's like, well, maybe it means that, but maybe it doesn't. And maybe that doesn't, nobody cares. Right. <laughs> you know, that's why I agree with you that like, the political narrative is really frustrating. The, the inspiration for the line could have been political, but by the method of how they are breaking things apart from meaning and reassembling them, I, I just want to reject <laughs> the, the overt politicalness that people are reading into it. Yeah, that they're trying to sort of escape their personality, which is something that T.S. Eliot wrote about a lot. You know, we want to try and escape personality, your own personality with what you create. And maybe that sounds weird, but anyone that actually has a personality will understand. <laughs> There's this great quote by Tom that was in The Wire that says, even now, most interviews you do, there's a constant subtext. Is this you? By using other voices, I guess it was a way of saying, obviously, it isn't me. I find it too, and like how it's not only in the lyrics, but it's in the music. When you break the song down into individual parts, you realize like there's there's only, what is that, six chords? And there's essentially three sections, and they just repeat. This is true almost of Kid A as a whole. It is very disorienting, but then it keeps some of the song structure very basic. There's not these epics on Kid A. There's not, you know, 15-minute songs that have all these different sections. A mm. lot of them just repeat sections over and over again. And that's a totally different way than what was happening on OK Computer. I was trying to think about this, right? Because there's songs where like they just repeat the same four chords the whole time, right? For example, that Third Eye Blind song that we that came up once, Semi Charm Life, like it's the same three chords over and over. So like, and there's a lot of pop songs that are like that. I mean, like it's just there's a lot of, especially pop songs where they're like, well, we have these nice four to th three or four chords. Why ruin it with another one? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to like piece out like why that's why well, I don't often like that repetition. And this repetition doesn't bother me. 
And I think it's just because yeah. that same idea that it's it's conscious, like they're sort of the other songs aren't being lazy, but they're not like committing to the fact that they're repeating. They're just like, this sounds good. We're going to stay with it. We'll like change the melody of the vocals a little bit for the chorus and then go back to the verse. Whereas like Radiohead is making a very conscious decision like, no, this repeats and we're going to emphasize it by repeating the words over mm-hmm. and over again. Other music maybe tries to disguise the fact that it's... I mean, for example, Mr. Brightside is just the same chords, quieter over and then and louder. And it's a pretty great song. It is but... a great It is a great song, <laughs> right? But it's like, why is that... It is, And I like that song, but why is that song not on the same sort of... We're just being nerdy. Why is it not on the same intellectual level as everything in its right place? Why does it sound expected and everything in its right place doesn't? Yeah. I don't know. No, but I think, I think, I think that... it's because they're doing it because the repetition is, is the point and the, not the vehicle. With the Killers, with Mr. Brightside, they had they have this song like, "Oh, this is a great song. It's the same four chords, whatever. Fine." Like, whereas Radio is like, "No, we are repeating the shit out of this." <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, yeah, I, I think that's true. So I would like to say that apparently York admitted to being totally obsessed with a Charles Mingus composition. So Charles Mingus is a jazz artist. You, you sent me his album. One composition in particular, which is called Freedom, he listened to that like over and over and over again. And then two songs that came out of it, one was Everything in Its Right Place and Pyramid Song. A lot of what Everything in Its Right Place does is, as we've said, sort of withholding that F chord. You don't know that you need it until it comes because the way those three chords act as sort of like an introduction to it, but by removing it, that's what makes that loop so bizarre. Ah, that's a good point. It should be like four chords, and they're not traditional rock music chords. They're more, well, they're jazz-influenced, and um, yeah, I think they said even like Calypso. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think we could talk about this particular song forever, especially because it, it introduces all these concepts that are going to play out for the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect introduction. Right. There could not have been a better first track to introduce these songs. So it's safe to say we really like this song. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't like it. And then we should move on. So the next song is Kid A. How are you playing this part? So I looked up and I found somebody on YouTube that was just playing it on guitar because it's very clear from the beginning that it's two separate keyboard parts. That was obviously how it was conceived. (laughs) But I found someone that sort of made it able to be played on one guitar. And so it was like this. Yeah. So I've been doing that over and over and over and over and over again. 
Yeah. <laughs> or I still try to look at the music before I listen to the song again. And I couldn't like quite remember how it sounded. And so like I just came up with this like when I looked at the chords, it was like. So you followed the chord forms and then yep. found the spots. Okay. It sounds like something Bach wrote. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like very Baroque, actually. So I have to admit something. I, I really am embarrassed by our uh, OK Computer final episode where we talked about our favorite versus the best song. Right. And I felt like you really made me look like a fool. Oh, I'm and sorry. I've been... <laughs> I, just, I mean, I just, sorry, I just had heard that same point and I felt foolish myself. I didn't mean to make you. But so anyway, I would just like to say from the beginning now that this is easily one of my top five Radiohead songs, Kid A, the title track. And I'm just going to say it from the beginning so I can't take it back like okay. I did with Letdown. Because as I was listening back, I, I realized I, I enthused about Letdown. And then when it came time to like declare it the best song, I, I chickened out. Kid A is one of those songs that doesn't make any sense to me still, and I love it dearly, and I think this is why I love this album so much. The beginning just sounds to it like a music box. When um, my daughter Mira was little, she got obsessed with music boxes, and we kept buying different ones from her, and we would play that every night before bed. We would wind them up, and then, you know, then we would find new ones and wind those up. Mm -hmm. So I have that. I've, I've, I've never found a song that is able to tap into that unconscious kid world without, it's not a kid song. Right. <laughs> and it is, it is very terrifying in many ways. But the music itself feels like a music box or a loop. But then also the singing and everything, it just reminds me of fairy tales, how they are actually kind of terrifying. Right. They are supposed to be for kids, but they're really like actually really scary. And I feel like sometimes people think that kids can't understand things, but like they know what's going on. They're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. This song is just, it really mines into that feeling. I mean, it's interesting what you say, like you say, it's definitely not a kid's song, but when I think about the music that you usually have on the music boxes, those aren't kid songs either. I mean, we have two for Hector, like one's a carousel that you can wind and like just another one that you just go. And I mean, one is Chopin and it's like achingly sad, you know, and the other one I think is uh, some Mozart, like something from the magic flute. It's that tinkly qu quality of the music box that makes you think it's for kids because this it's an object, like it's been turned into this object that should just be for kids. Like maybe you shouldn't enjoy it as an adult. But it's mm -hmm. so enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like Grimm's fairy tales, at least. You know, like, so we have this music that's not made for kids, but it has become this object for kids. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Grimm's fairy tales. And, like, those were more of a reaction to, like, everyone was post-industrial revolution. Like, people were moving into the cities, and they didn't want to, like, lose the knowledge that they had of nature. Because there's there'd already been this move to the city, like, nature had already become this much more scary place because it was the unknown and the, like the Grimm brothers went around like just collecting these stories and for some reason like they became kids the kids stories but right right they're just terrifying like it's terrifying I like old kids stories for my boys much more than like the new things were like you said like they're assuming that kids can't handle it I'm right like, no kids can handle it like Hector wants Rumpelstiltskin tearing himself <laughs> in two <laughs> and, like I was reading I read that story to him in German 
my German is pretty good, but I can't read ahead and read with my mouth at different sp speeds. You know, like, I don't know how if you do that with Mira, like, if you, you I was always, like, reading a couple lines ahead in in, in my head, but still behind. Right. Me. I can't do that in German. And then all of a sudden I, like, read, like, yeah, and then th he stamped one foot into the ground, and the other foot into the ground, and then tore himself in two. And I, like, <laughs> I, I said that. <laughs> and I, I, like, looked at Hector, and he was like, yeah, Gil. He's like, uh, okay. <laughs> He's <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> everything. Yeah. You know, everything in its right place is the intro track. And there's no doubt that that was the right thing to do. But this one just feels like you're being transported to the world where it begins. And, and for some reason, like, I just always think of the Greek conception of like the afterlife with the shades. I don't know. You're, you're obviously the expert with this. Your personality is almost gone. It, I mean, it depends on whose conception of the underworld you're talking about. Like if you're, it's, it's Socrates and yeah, like your personality is kind of gone and you have to go on a wandering until you can be reborn, right? Like you have to kind mm -hmm. of wander the rest of your personality off depending on like how bad you were or how much like weight your soul has, like the longer you have to walk around. Um, Jesus. Before. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I can't explain effectively why I love this song so much. It sounds otherworldly. It doesn't sound like it was created here. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to come down that it's my favorite. I really, I, I don't want to say that I forgot about it, but I forgot about its impact. You have everything in its right place and it takes you somewhere else. And then Kid A just really digs deeper. You're like, oh, that wasn't a one-off. This is where we're going. It's not like a difficult first track and then it there's the pop song. It's like, no, this track is even more difficult and crazier than the first one. Let's just take away the most probably like recognizable element of Radiohead, which is Tom York's voice, and obliterate it. I'm like, is he even singing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so, and this is another one where he's very clear that this was, these are all lines pulled out of a hat. Mm -hmm. And his melody was written by Johnny. Tom was just sort of saying these words, and then Johnny was manipulating it with the own Martino. Uh huh. Is that right? It was, Did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. And this is a very old electronic instrument that was invented, I guess, in the 1930s. Yeah. He uses it by. I think you can play with keys, but he can, you can also do it with this string. Johnny was manipulating these flat words into this melody. And so that's another layer of removing yourself from a song. Tom is a little em not embarrassed of this song. He thinks this is a terrifying song because it's sort of like not him, but he... He's present you know, in it somehow. Like he knows he was there, but he doesn't recognize himself. I find this song just achingly beautiful stunningly beautiful you see also just like how the music works even when it's divorced from this context like if you watch that something brothers whatever they did that acoustic version you know it just like it still works it's not as great as what's on the album but we'll, we'll put that in the show notes what i'm talking about yeah there's like a very cool acoustic version instrumental of this song Mm -hmm. Where it just shows you that on a music level, it works. That performance brings me to another big theme I find with this album. They're turning the production and consumption of music on its head. Recording is, you know, like by definition, it's like retying, right? It's like taking something that happened and then trying to reproduce that, not in the setting that it was originally in. Even writing is originally writing down the Homeric epic that was 
performed orally for centuries. You know, and that's why you have terms like high fidelity, like trying to be faithful to what? To faithful to the original performance. But this is not a song that is originally performed, right? Like the performance works because it comes out of the recording. When you, even when you watch radio do this live, like it sounds different. I mean, because you actually then hear what he's singing. They're not trying to capture a moment in time and then repeat it. Like that's why it feels so sort of timeless. Like the time is just everywhere. It's not capturing what something they did live, but something they just created in that space. I knew I loved this song, but playing it is so much fun. Like the... Yeah. Actually, John Mayer did a cover of this song. Oh, really? And it's actually pretty good. <laughs> but I think covers work because of this like unique situation where it, it wasn't a performance first, right? And so then you get to perform it. I just love the first line that I slip. I slipped on a little white lie. Oh, then it gets into sort of the more terrifying children's things, but... The ventriloquists and are they talking about the French Revolution or not? I mean, it's a, it, again, it's one of those situations where you're not supposed to interpret it. Like Dada, you're not supposed to in- interpret it. You just sort of consume it. I, I love halfway through where the distinctive parts sort of go away and all you get is the drum beat. And all of a sudden there's this sort of welling of mm-hmm. a synthesizer line. I love considering why they would choose to do an electronic sound that sounds like an orchestra mm-hmm. and not just do an orchestra this is getting back to your point of like they had the money obviously they used strings on a number of other songs but for some reason they wanted to have this sort of like orchestra sound i think it's actually really important that it's a synthesizer because it feels so fake mm-hmm. it's sort of intentionally fake right because they're not trying to be faithful to anything they're not trying to be faithful to a, a, any sort of specific moment they're being faithful only to the absence of a moment in which this mm-hmm. song would exist. Sorry, I'm, I like this, I, this song has sort of broken my brain. No, like, it has. It, it really to has. Like, think about it. Well, when you start thinking about it, then you're like, oh my God, like, you know, there's the whole Pied Piper, the rats and children will follow me out of town. Come on, kids. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? And then <laughs> you start thinking about, like, Tom has made a, a few references to. The idea that there's already been a sort of artificial intelligence created, that Mm -hmm. there's already a living conscious being that's been created. You know, he has no proof about this, and I don't know any example of it, but it seems possible that there will be consciousness created in a laboratory someday, maybe, if you don't think about there being a sort of soul or sort of one thing that makes us us. I was, I've been reading this book by Anil Seth. It's called Being You. This quote of the self is not a immutable entity that lurks behind the windows of the eyes, looking out into the world and controlling the body as a pilot controls a plane. The experience of being me or being you is perception itself, or better, a collection of perceptions, a tightly woven bundle of neurally encoded predictions geared toward keeping your body alive. Like you've been saying before, it's like we're we're making predictions all the time. That's our reality. I listened to an interview with this Seth guy, and he said, like, yeah, basically your personality is an illusion. It's like a very strong yeah. one, but... <laughs> um, and it's real to you, yeah, maybe. And maybe that's good uh, enough, but it's it's still an illusion. All right, well, we got to keep... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're never going to finish this. And it's only three songs. <laughs> so the next song... 
is the national anthem. made it through everything in its right place in kid a and then you get to the national anthem you're just like well things aren't going to get any easier to understand (laughs) now (laughs) well i mean at the very at the at the very beginning you're like oh okay here we go let's get started i mean it's a very simple baseline Mm -hmm. but it is weird it is a weird it's pulling in notes that aren't in the same key even though it is very simple it is a little cockeyed well, I mean, here you also have like the jazz influence, where it's like that that run is, um, you know, it's kind of like the blues scale that you can kind of fall back onto if you're just sort of trying to noodle over jazz and you can't keep up with the form changes. You mm-hmm. can have like that, like, and yeah. I think then that's why how the jazz comes into this song. Before we get to the jazz part, just like to come back, like what I, I mean, apparently he wrote it when he's like 16 years old, right? This bass line, right. It makes sense because all the notes are right there. When you're playing it, it's really easy to move your finger there. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and so it's like, and especially because he's a teenager and teenagers are strange and mostly unconscious feral beings. Like, <laughs> I mean, I work with kids. I work with teenagers. I like, I know this. <laughs> like, it's just this, it's, it returns to this idea that we're going to come up a lot and probably annoy people with about the unconscious in that I think some people like really sit down and write a song and I think sometimes something comes out and like, oh, that's a nice little melody. And then they build mm-hmm. on, they build on it. Like the conscious then like adds on pieces before they even had like a version that they recorded for OK Computer. There's a, there's a version that's been, that was on the mini disc right. leaks and it's a much faster version of it. And it's just absolute chaos the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, so, but even then it's like, he's, he's starting to realize like, I have to let, I can let go of that conscious uh, compulsion to add on and then just mm-hmm. let it, just let it be. And then like put noise around it. I, I, let's get to the jazz part. Cause I have something that's been bugging me for years. Tell me. Every, almost every review you read about Kid A talks about the free jazz that happens at the end of this song. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's listened to jazz should know that that's not true. I gave you some examples. Um, I let you listen to uh, Coltrane, Ascension. He was very into the bebop and hard bop, which was very rule-focused. And then towards the mid to late 60s, he just sort of became really involved in free jazz. And, uh, and free jazz is, is, has no structure. Yeah, <laughs> That's what it is. and. So not only is there, you can just sort of play whatever you want and then everyone else has to react to what you're doing. And if you've ever listened to the national anthem, you know that the bass line and drums go through the whole thing as this anchor. And the sort of chaos that happens at the end of the national anthem, while discordant in in many respects, it's still following that pattern. And it's often following the key and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... It, it, it has much more in line with bebop and Charles Mingus than it does with sort of free jazz. 
And so I just needed to get that off my chest first. Yeah. Because <laughs> it infuriates me. I still find it really difficult to listen to free jazz. I don't know how you felt listening to that Coltrane. Uh, I, that's, I really liked it. Okay, you liked it. John Coltrane, you know, is a very cathartic person mm-hmm. and performer. And a, like a Love Supreme is the album that was released a, a year or two before that. And that's the one I, I'm obsessed with, a Love Supreme. But that hasn't totally left the building yet. <laughs> I mean, but I, yeah, but give me the Ascension any day. Because you sent me also oh, yeah. that Charles Mingus to listen to. And I was like, nope. I mean, I, oh, I got like two minutes in. I was like, yeah, this is, this is very weird, Austin. There's something about like the scales that are employed, like by Mingus. The town hall recording I like much more, mm-hmm. but okay. the one that you sent me is it Blues and Roots? Yeah, no, thank you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. Uh, I I mean, <laughs> I've accepted that it's a character flaw. I'm very happy now that I can say that I at least really like free jazz. I really like okay. this. Uh, this ascension is really great. I've listened to it again a couple times now on my headphones. The Town Hall is good. I mean, like, I don't like that Freedom song that Tom was obsessed with, but like Osmoten and Duke's Choice and stuff, that's okay. That one album, I was like, I don't know why you thought I would like this. Oh, <laughs> I don't know you at all, apparently. <laughs> I know I'm just I'm just weird when it comes to jazz. I don't know why. I, I, I really need to investigate it. I think it has something to do with that, with the scale. With that, the blues scale, maybe? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, with that, that that I was talking about, like... Don't like that. Like, give me Ooh. like, give me the the minor or the Phrygian or something. Like the free jazz, I like just because it doesn't have a scale. The blues scale is the foundational aspect of rock music and blues music and jazz music. So, yeah, fine. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay, let's uh, move on to the drums. I am obsessed with this drum pattern. I have been programming the drums for the things that we play at the beginning of our discussions. And if you just sort of plug this drum pattern in, it sounds wrong. It sounds wrong because you really have to give the song swing and you can actually digitally add swing in and then it sounds pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) And there's something about this. It sounds like a galloping horse almost Mm -hmm. where... It's not a, a sort of punk rock, like straight 16th notes. There's this galloping nature to the song that yeah. sort of keeps it moving. When they come in the drums, it's almost as though they're released. Yeah, they were behind a gate, like sort of snorting away, and then they like let them go. I mean, so this is just a heavily indebted to jazz and blues, this song, which is another example of like when people call it the an electronica album, like they just have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> no. And I mean, I have to admit that this is probably one of my top five radio head songs. I'm obsessed with this song and I don't really know why. It is just a bass line and some drums. And then it just gets crazier and crazier as it goes along. It, there's so much excitement that mm-hmm. they captured here. And Tom seems... Not like the least important part of it, but... I mean, he's decentered, right? And it's just like that we're holding on, just threatening. I mean, like he's done, he's done that before with his lyrics, but like we're holding on is actually, no, actually we're about to, we're about to let go. We, we're trying to hold on, but it's constantly trying to get us to not 
yeah, to, yeah. to fall off. Like Johnny's work on the on Martineau here is mm-hmm. just outrageous. Even going back to the '60s, there's examples of like, oh, we got to have a sitar on this song, and so like someone who's never played the sitar, like you know, brings one up and starts playing it. In the '90s, it became easy to digitally replicate a lot of different kinds of instruments, and mm-hmm. so you can make it do whatever you want to. But like Johnny's not playing this just because he thinks it sounds cool. It's like he became obsessed with it. He couldn't stop playing it. And so it's on almost every song. It's it's the kind of what we were talking about when we went into his solos on like earlier work, like especially the later stuff. I mean, he definitely just, he just wants to, he's so frustrated, he was so frustrated with the guitar even back then, mm-hmm. right? Like it was just, it was limiting. And like the, the old Martino is he doesn't, there's not those limits. I mean, like there's not frets, right? He just has like the string that right. he can like, pitch with and he can like choose the pitches and they can maybe be a little bit off and they don't have to be in exactly the key and he can do that i mean it's i mean he should have been a horn player yeah he's right. able to live live in between notes here so i mean it, for me it makes sense that he would just like okay this is it this is this is what i'm playing now this and is, everyone else in the band is like <laughs> what <laughs> you're gonna play this obscure weird instrument that no one has played for like 70 years so imagine, like, as you can, Radiohead's your favorite band. It's 2000. Kid A just came out, and they're on Saturday Night Live. And the first song they play is the national anthem. And Tom is going nuts. And I love it so much. It's amazing. <laughs> I've watched it many times as preparation for this, but I realized that I'd often just watched it, like, just in general every once in a while. I'd go search it on YouTube and, like, oh, let's watch this again. One of the reasons I love it is because it has the horns. And when they perform the song without horns, I feel like it's missing something. Yeah. They've performed this song a lot, and it sounds great, but with the horns, it sort of reaches that next level. So, I mean, we're talking about three songs in a row where I am entranced. But, like, these three songs are very strange and different from each other. Yeah, they're of different strangeness. And the only through line is, like, the repetition aspect. The, the forms of them are approachable, but then what, what they put into those sections is not. And I think that's why Kid A is actually a, a fairly approachable album. I think we, when we think of difficult, sometimes we think of emotionally difficult situations that are just kind of hard to get through because they're so raw. Yeah. <laughs> and there's none of that here because hmm. it's all filtered through this like lens. It's just obvious, like even with these three songs, and we can talk about and probably argue about like how well it keeps up on this album. And on, mm-hmm. and on the subsequent one, but like they, you, you can't stay here. No, like you can't, you can't stay where these three, whatever, wherever these three songs are, is on a place that like accepts residents. You have to move on. As much as you might want to, you can't. Right. Yeah. It's a yeah. transitory space. I'm very excited about the conversation for next week. We both like all three of these songs quite a bit. Uh, yeah, a little too much, maybe. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why I that's why I was like um I'm going to bring some conflict in because I don't like this Mingus album and which is true I was like I just had to make sure I made the point. Yeah. I mean the reason why we're doing this whole project for me is Kid A. I just I I was so interested to see how it would stand up 
to something like this. I'm very excited about what's to come for sure, but this was almost the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for well, well, for me, it was amnesiac. Well, yeah, we're still gonna we're gonna have a good time with that one. Yeah, that's gonna be um, that's gonna be a good time. I know there's more to say, but we'll continue. <laughs> so for next week, we're gonna talk about how to disappear completely, tree fingers, optimistic, and in limbo. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsperger and Austin Diaz.